0: Hey, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of To Be Determined with Bill and Dan.
1: Greetings from Earth.
0: Today we have an interesting story for you. Very, very early story by Heinlein that is called They. Not to be confused with the classic creature feature Them, which is about giant irradiated ants that was produced in the 1950s. You know, Dan, Dan brought this to the table for us and
1: so this show is all my fault
0: (laughs) that's right i'll be honest i had never read anything as old as this by Heinlein, and in fact i was under the impression that his real writing career had started a little later than it actually had i don't know how i somehow missed the memo but like i was reading his novels his novels were published in the 60s the ones that i started reading And this thing is from...
1: Yeah, right. And this... What is it? 1941. 1941.
0: Yeah. So this is way beyond, or way before.
1: Yeah, so this is a good 20, 25 years. I mean, most people know Heinlein from Stranger in a Strange Land, or The Moon is a Harsh Mistress, or, of course, Starship starship troopers. Troopers. Yes, exactly. But all of those, like I said, or like you just said, are... You know, this this story is twenty a good 20, 25 years before any of that stuff came out. So, so this is an example of a very early Heinlein, and it's it's good. I mean, most of it's good. I should say. You know, one of the things that that I wanted to bring to the table with this story is is like you said, Bill. You've probably never heard of this story. It's not well anthologized. It's not one you're going to see in you know, the top ten Heinlein stories ever, but. It is interesting and it's almost interesting because it could have been a really really great story, but in 98% of it is really good. but for some reason, you know it, it it kind of falls apart at the end. but that I still that think that's not a good reason to to completely ignore it.
0: No, and I would say that despite the fact that the story at the end falls just a little bit short, the idea of it is one That, well, you'll see, if you've never read it before, it ties in with, perhaps even is inspiration for, some of the biggest ideas in sci-fi, especially the last 20 years in terms of filmmaking. And so, despite the fact that this particular story is an interesting and early venture that doesn't quite complete its own loop... The idea behind it is one that really has captured the imagination of, of of filmmakers and writers and creators.
1: And I'm sure, you know, everyone out there has, has experienced some show or book or movie where you're like, oh, this is really good. This is really good. And then it just kind of abruptly ends or, you know, the, the studio cancels it or they run out of money or they end up, you know, dialing in the last episode and you're left with, you know, the last episode of Lost or, you know, the one season of Firefly or, you know, I don't know. What was that movie we were talking about? Sunshine It was another movie where you're like, oh, this is really good, really good. And then you're like, what? What? Yeah. <laughs> so, well, for better or for worse, you know, science fiction and probably most genres are, you know, have their share of projects that just kind of fell short. And and again, this is kind of one of those stories where it's great up until a point, and we're going to try to focus on the good stuff.
0: And despite that somewhat lukewarm preview, <laughs> I really would like you to stick with us because the journey is definitely worth taking, even if part of what we're going to do is explore where else the journey might have gone.
1: Yeah, people have, people have gotten spoiled because all the stuff we've reviewed so far is really good. So we got to break that trend. <laughs>
0: With that, so, Dan, give us a little bit of a synopsis of this thing, and then we can jump into talking about the characters, the short list of which is, well, the list of which is short.
1: Yeah, yeah. The uh, And the funny thing is that the actual the actual main character in this story doesn't even have a name throughout the entire story. He's just the patient. Right. So, we'll, I guess we'll just call him Patient X. It's a guy, in a he's in a mental institution, and he's got a very odd problem where he thinks essentially the whole universe has been constructed to fool him into thinking that he is, well, who he is. And along those lines, there's, well, there's really only three other characters that are kind of involved in this little conspiracy. There's his main doctor in the, in the mental hospital, whose name is Dr. Haywood, uh, this attendant who, you know, delivers his food, checks in on him, whose name is Joe, and then his wife, Alice. And all, you know, these three characters are pretty much the only people he interacts with throughout the story.
0: Even in, when he's reflecting on previous events, we don't ever get to see him interact with anybody else. So l- let me set the stage with the opening line of the, of the whole story. They would not let him alone. They never would let him alone. He realized that that was part of the plot against him—never to leave him in peace, never to give him a chance to mull over the lies they had told him, time enough to pick out the flaws and to figure out the truth for himself.
1: So yeah, what we get is—is is we have patient. We'll call, like I said, we'll call him Patient X, and he's got a few few issues with the way the world works. Uh, we meet. In pretty short order, uh, Dr. Haywood, like I said, that's his, that's his psychiatrist, psychologist, whatever you want to call him, and they start discussing his case. Uh, we find out that the patient has, for a long time, had issues pretty much being able to communicate with anybody, reach out on any fundamental level, and you know, kind of share how he thinks, how he feels about the world. You know, he goes into how when he was a kid, he couldn't communicate with the other kids. Uh, The the adults would always act strange whenever he was in the room. And he just gets this idea that, you know, he's kind of isolated. He's unable to communicate with any other being besides himself.
0: Well, and tied to that, he attempts to engage with everyone around him as he understands is expected of him based on the interactions that he witnesses. But he has this sense from a very early age that he is the most complex being he knows, which is a peculiar kind of thing for a kid even to decide. But he feels like, well, to put it in a contemporary context, he kind of feels like he's in a video game and all of the other characters are badly developed artificial intelligence. And he's and all the only NPCs. real human. Yes, they're all NPCs, exactly.
1: Yeah, and one of the things he starts talking about with, with Dr. Haywood, he likes to play chess, apparently. This is his big thing. And, and Dr. Haywood's like, hey, why do you like playing chess so much? And the patient is, says, well, essentially because it's the only thing that makes sense, where all the logic makes sense, all the rules make sense. And he can actually, you know, it's about the only thing in the world that makes sense because apparently nothing else does. And he starts, you know listing all these different things that I'll give you a sample here. He's talking about the world. He's like, "I see all around me this enormous plant cities, farms, factories, churches, schools, homes, railroads, baggage, luggage, roller coasters, trains, saxophones, libraries, people and animals. people that looked like me and who should have felt very much like me if what I was told was the truth. But what did they appear to be doing? They went to work to earn the money, to buy food, to get the strength, to go to work, to earn the money, to buy the food, to get the strength, to go to work, to get the strength, to buy the food, to earn the money, to go, until they fell over dead. Any slight variation in the basic pattern did not matter, for they always fell over dead. And everybody tried to tell me that I should be doing the same thing. I knew better.
0: As an adult, he grows into this state of of sort of perpetual questioning. The one person that gets past his skepticism, if you want to call it that, that gets past his whatever that mistrust that he feels of the rest of the world is his wife. Yeah. And he he intimates that he shares things with her because she seems more real than the other people. And of course, we learn later that there's a good reason for that. And she is indeed another complete being. She is not any kind of simulation or any kind of uh, of NPC, so to speak.
1: Right, right. But getting back to, uh, getting back to the patient's view of the world, I, I just gave you one take on this. He goes on to talk about all sorts of different things in the world that to him make absolutely no sense. You know, different versions of religion, different versions of economic systems, different versions of this. And he, he keeps struggling to find something that makes sense because everything just seems fundamentally irrational to him.
0: Like, it's inherently flawed, and it eventually unravels if you carry it out to its logical conclusions.
1: Yeah, I mean, he even goes back to, like, the whole, you know, Descartes, I think, therefore, yeah, I'm just trying to find some type of facts that he can actually believe in. And he, he basically is like, I can believe that I exist, I can believe that my senses exist, uh, and I can believe that everything's a big lie, that's a fact. You know, he goes back and forth between, you know, questioning everything around him and, you know, occasionally he backtracks and goes, well, you know, the, and Dr. Haywood, of course, being the good psychologist he is, comes in and says things like, well, of course, you know, adults behave differently around you when you were a kid because, you know, adults are there to protect the children. And Dr. Haywood, of course, keeps giving these very rational explanations for, what the patient sees as just, you know, utter idiocy around him. And in fact, he actually does call it an idiot's dream and somewhere in the text. And, um, oh yeah, there it is. And he actually gets back to the conspiracy theory and says, yet it was on too mammoth a scale to be without some reason. He came wearily back to the original point. Since the world could not be as crazy as it appeared to be, it must necessarily have been arranged to appear crazy in order to deceive him as to the truth
0: so as he's playing out these theories to dr haywood he's he's trying to he's explaining it to haywood knowing that haywood in his eyes is part of the conspiracy so he's explaining to his conspirator about his conspiracy trying to see if there's some sort of flaw that he can that he can draw him out or that he can just through his, his sheer persistence, convince him. Hey, it doesn't matter what you do at this point. I'm not going to believe your stuff, and I know it's a. I know there's there's this whole fiction that's been constructed, so that you don't need to keep going on with it. You can you can just stop the charade. And so one of the scenes that that comes along there is you know when Doctor Haywood has gone away, and the attendant, uh, the the orderly or whatever you want to call him, Joe, comes in and says, hey. There's a movie tonight. You want to come out and watch it? And Patient X is saying, "Oh, come on. We both know that this is a charade. We both know that there's no movie. That the only reason you're going to show a movie is if I show up. I'm not leaving my room, so you don't have to show a movie. You know, cuz no one's going to be there because I'm not going to be there. You know, so he he keeps trying to reason with, if you want to call it that, the people that he suspects are in on the conspiracy. And even says to Joe at some point, "Well, you're in on it." Because you're one of the only, you're, you're close to me, you interact with me, so you must be in on it. Dr. Haywood's in on it, Alice is in on it.
1: Which, of course, are the only other characters we reference in the story, so, you know, that kind of makes sense. Right. <laughs> um, so, so yeah, so you can see where he's basically, he's like, the whole world's been constructed to fool me into thinking that, and, and you do get, I guess, one thing we haven't brought in yet is the fact that he doesn't believe he's a human, right? He thinks he's an immortal being, he thinks that, you know, he's being tricked into believing he's a human because everything has been constructed to make him think he's a human. But deep down, he's like, no, I, this, and one of the things he comes up with, he's like, they tell me that I'm going to die in, you know, 70 years wrong. I'm immortal. I know it. And he ends up referring actually to a, a dream pretty shortly after that. And I mean, we've all been, you know, in that point where we have this dream, you wake up and you can just barely remember it. So, So he says, you know, he's kind of describing his dream. It says, there's gladness everywhere. It's good to be with his own kind. He hears music everywhere. Everything's living, aware of him. They participate in, you know, in him. He participates. It's great. It's unity. It's diversity. And he says there had only, there had been one bad thought. The details escaped him, but it was gone. It had never been. There was no place for it. And then he wakes up slowly, kind of remembering this dream, thinking, hey, I actually remember who I was. And he's trying to capture it. And then Joe, the attendant, shows up and he starts to forget everything that he had just dreamed. And it just slips away from him. Just like, you know, we're all familiar with that feeling where you're in that dream. You know what's going on. You wake up, you remember it. And then like 10 seconds later, it's all gone.
0: Yeah, an interesting line there. The click of the peephole and the rasp of the door being unlocked guillotined his line of thought. Piffed, it's gone.
1: Right, right. And he's like, don't answer. Don't listen. Suppress the distraction. It's a part of their plan. But it was too late. So you start seeing that, hey, maybe there is something to this, This, you know, his thinking that he is really different from everybody else. Now, of course, he's in a mental hospital and, you know, he could be just having weird psychotic dreams but you're like, well, there's a little bit more evidence that maybe he kind of is who he says he is. And then we get introduced to his wife, Alice, who shows up. Um, I think, Bill, you, you talked earlier about how there, there's a section in the story where he's like, you know, he, he apparently grows up, gets married, has a job. and He's kind of settled into the idea that, yeah, even though the world doesn't make any sense, you know, my wife's pretty cool, I'm having a good life, so I'll just kind of, you know, put all the conspiracy theories to bed, go on about my life, until something happens. Well,
0: and she's one of the characters who makes him question this whole conspiracy theory thing. And part of that is that she is a complete being. And the, the, and the relationship that they create feels to him to be quite genuine. And actually, just before the dream sequence, there's a, there's a moment where he's he's reflecting on what it means to have a wife. And, and it says, What was a wife? Another soul like one's own, a compliment, the other necessary pull to the couple, a sanctuary of understanding and sympathy in the boundless depths of aloneness. And a little bit later, he says, The yearning need for companionship of his own kind had caused him to see himself reflected in those beautiful eyes, and had made him quite uncritical of the occasional incongruities of her responses so she is part of the perpetuation of this reality for him she's part of the reason why he says yeah maybe i'm wrong maybe you know because she seems so genuine because she connects with him in ways that are meaningful to him and so that's why it's so much more difficult for him and, and he even begins to crumble a little bit later in the story upon you know her showing up it's like, oh no, she's 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 my weakness. She's she's part of the story, or she's part of my reality that makes me question my sense of what is real and what is not.
1: All right, and and so everything's going along pleasingly well for for the patient, and you know, like it's, like you said, he's got his wife. Everything's going pretty good, and then something happens where. He causes him to just completely start questioning everything all over again, and it's a it's a pretty simple scene.
0: They they're getting ready to leave out the front door, and he forgets something.
1: Yeah, he doesn't even seem to know why, but he's for some reason he's got to run back in the house and do something.
0: And she says, "You don't want to miss the train." Well, and there's a it's raining as they're getting ready to go out the front door, and he jumps back into the house, goes upstairs. And for some unknown reason, he he doesn't understand the impulse to do it, but he lifts the shade in the window of the bedroom at the back of the house and discovers that it's not raining at the back of the house.
1: Yeah, it's just clear and sunny in the back of the house, but somehow pouring rain at the front of the house. And he looks at this and then he turns around and his wife is there and he's like, hey, do you see this? Look what's going on. And she's like, oh, you know, she's like, "Ah, the sun just came out for a second, but it's gone now and now it's raining again. But now he's all of a sudden, all his suspicions have come back. All his paranoia have come back just because he can't explain this this little weather phenomenon. And after that is when he apparently goes downhill and is how he ends up in the mental hospital to start with.
0: So when Alice shows up at his hospital room and he has mixed emotions, he has a bigger struggle dealing with her than anybody else in the story because he let her in. He let her into his his thinking he revealed some of his mistrust in his thoughts on the logic or his interpretation of the world around him and so she is closer to him or she got inside of his head more than anybody else ever did during his lifetime and so when she shows up at his hospital room it's a difficult thing for him and ultimately he rehashes the events of the day with the rain rain at the front of the house but not at the back
1: of the house and sends her away. And she's like saying, do you think I'm responsible for the weather? And he's like, yeah, I think you are. Now, please go. And, and this is where the story basically completely changes. It says, the creature he knew as Alice went to the place of assembly without stopping to change form. It is necessary to adjourn this sequence. I am no longer able to influence his decisions. And then you get a very short and very abrupt ending where basically uh, this person known as the Glaroon, who, as it turns out, is Dr. Haywood, basically is is talking to the rest of his staff saying, "Up, oh, looks like we got to do some more memory grafts. Uh, geez, we got he's suspicious. He's probably going to try to break free. We got to take some of the Earth apart and make sure he can't go there while it's under construction and and literally this probably occupies you know, another 100 words or so and then the story ends
0: it is so abrupt
1: right so you've got this great story you've got of this guy who's you know, constantly struggling with himself struggling trying to make sense of the world and the people in it and questioning reality and then you know unfortunately like was the case with a lot of early science fiction you get thrown this little curveball at the end the little twist and then the story ends
0: in the space of five or six paragraphs dr haywood transforms from haywood to the glaroon we get mention of these terms that are in capital letters which means of course that they're very significant the glaroon addressed the first for manipulation <laughs> then turning to the first for operations you know so there's like this like you said he makes reference to the staff but all of a sudden they're all of these titles and they're all of these responsibilities and all of these roles, and then there's this random line or feels random in the context of the story. Bear in mind the treaty he almost remembered.
1: Yeah, so you get these like really weird things all thrown at you all of a sudden. And then this other part where uh, the the Alice person asks if he can could, could he, he, not he not have, 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 the, have Taj the Taj Mahal? <laughs> next sequence, for some reason he values it. And Glaroon says, you are becoming assimilated? And she says, perhaps. I am not in fear. Will he receive it? So <laughs> you get all these weird things that all just get thrown in this jumble at the end of the story. And you're left going, what is going on here?
0: Yeah. So the story goes off the rails. But it's got this really wonderful buildup and this really careful development of character and his thinking and his questioning of the logic of the world and his reasons for believing that he's at the center of some conspiracy theory. And at the end, we find out, yeah, he actually is at the center of some conspiracy theory and there's all this stuff that gets thrown at us, but we are never given any sense of who's done it and why.
1: Right, you just get these vague glimpses of, you're like, you're left wondering, like what what is the society he came from? Apparently they are all immortal. I mean, if and he apparently had some, you know, some there, there's reference earlier in the story to he had a bad thought. And this is apparently the, the whole genesis of why they had to create this entire world to fool him into thinking he's something else. So he can't have whatever this thought is. And then you're like, well, what could he have done that's so dangerous? and And what benefit is this, you know, quote unquote treatment, if you want to call it that? You know, all these weird questions. And and because all these questions just start bombarding you as the reader at the end of the story, you almost completely forget how good the story was up until this point.
0: If there ever was a wait, what moment, this is it.
1: Exactly. So again, as as we've said before, this story is, you know, 98% good. And I encourage everyone to read it, knowing that it's going to have this weird ending. But hey, you know, it is what it is.
0: So all of that said, at the top, we talked about how the story, like the, the core elements of it have been played out, whether deliberately in reference to this short story, or just because the ideas are relatively universal and appeal to people who are writers in the science fiction world, you know, there's all of this stuff about constructed realities and deception and whether or not we can trust our senses. You know, you think about the the incredible array of stories and films that have started with one character having a reason to question whether or not their reality is real. Whether it's The Matrix, The Truman Show, you know, so, so many of them.
1: Yeah, The Truman Show is probably one of those that's probably the most direct descendant of this type of story, but... But even before that, like Philip K. Dick had a had a was I can't remember if it's a novel or a short story called Time Out of Joint, where it's another person who's had his entire reality constructed around him for, for various reasons we won't get into here. But uh, but like you said, this whole idea of of constructed realities is now pretty much second nature in the the science fiction movie and story universe
0: right i mean we've got things like memento which of course deals with memory but then there's there's other other elements of it as well that are that are that make him question reality shutter island 12 monkeys fight club and and that's just a, a short list of some of the big ones
1: yeah there's probably a whole bunch of other ones that that if we actually put our minds to it we could bring up but but yeah the idea that that someone's out there questioning the nature of reality, trying to make sense of the world, trying to figure out where their place is.
0: Well, it's interesting that one of the one of the conclusions that science fiction authors or that science fiction filmmakers come to is that we might use technology to create elaborate realities or elaborate synthetic realities, I should say. I mean, the whole idea of virtual reality, of course, is exploring the notion, is it possible for us to experience things that are not real if we make it seem real enough that our senses might be fooled? I mean, so that's, there's there's a whole lot of stuff that goes along with that. and And, and of course, there are explorations way beyond entertainment for doing that kind of stuff. I mean, they're using virtual reality, for example, to treat PTSD right now. I mean, there, there's been a lot of interesting work that's been done with that kind of stuff. So there's there's a lot of good reasons for us to explore this kind of technology, but it's been a thing for science fiction for a lot longer than it has been a thing for medicine or for any other teaching, for example. I mean, their entire constructed realities, oh, what was that thing? Second life. That was a big thing.
1: Oh, yeah, I remember Second Life. You know, I'm, I'm forgetting
0: how long ago Second Life started, but it was essentially working off of the notion of virtual realities where companies and schools and, and people created in the Second Life realm simulated versions of things in real life, like universities, for example, and libraries and stuff like that.
1: Yeah, but the one thing I, I think is kind of different... You know with this particular story and yes I absolutely agree that yeah we've had all these different movies about virtual reality and all these technologies that are out there and and yes sometimes they get used to fool humans into thinking reality is not what it is but I've never you know outside of this story I've never encountered one where where we're using virtual reality to make an alien believe he's a human right. And again, just because of that one twist is one of the reasons I recommend this story because it's it's pretty unique to think, hey, we're gonna try to to convince an alien that he's a human, and how and the lengths they have to go to to do it.
0: There's one kind of sort of parallel to that in the movie Contact, where the aliens are attempting to communicate with and connect with Jodie Foster's character, and. She's, she's gone through the wormhole, she's gone to their world, and they present her with a constructed reality, and they make themselves appear human so that they can—
1: Yeah, just so they can communicate and give give a you know, frame of reference that she can understand.
0: Yes, they can connect without weirding her out. There's, a, there's an obvious purpose is where I was going with that for that particular construction— and in this case, the the motivation escapes me. <laughs> I'm not sure where this is going.
1: Well, yeah, and this, again, goes back to what we had just discussed about how the story ends so abruptly with just all these weird tantalizing hints about a society of immortals where one of them had a bad thought and somehow got, you know, imprisoned in this world where it's the only way they—apparently they can't kill him, being immortal at all— So they've got to find some strange, elaborate way to keep him from knowing who he is so he can't have whatever this bad thought is that was about ready to destroy their entire society.
0: One hint there about the construction of this or the motivation behind it, he's in a mental hospital. They're trying to address his perceptions of, his grip on reality, and they're trying to make him question his questions. They're trying to, like knock the bricks out from under his foundation that he's using to question this reality.
1: Yeah, they're trying to steer him back into thinking he's a regular old human.
0: Right, and that's, that's where I was going with that, is that it, it, it feels like an attempt at rehabilitating his mind, about getting him back to wherever he needs to be for their purposes, or for his purposes even.
1: Hmm. Yeah, I, I'd find it pretty hard to believe that uh, a human mind should be used as the model for a brace of immortal aliens.
0: It's hard to say even...
1: Of course, to be fair, there are no real humans in the entire story since they're all constructed. Right. You know, like you said, they're all basically you know, NPCs or just these kind of sham shadow characters that have no particular motivation or will of their own. Oh, wait, that kind of does describe our reality. Oh, wait, never mind.
0: <laughs> well, and the one thing that really kind of cements it at the end that we're dealing with an alien race... Is the paragraph you already read it, the creature he knew as Alice went to the place of assembly without stopping to change form. So here's our moment where yes, it's he Heinlein is telling us this is nothing is as you have perceived it so far. And the you the use of the word creature and form, of course, explains this deception, puts it in context, but we still don't know what in reality, they are if they are not as they appear to be.
1: Yeah, everything just completely left to the reader's imagination.
0: The Glaroon.
1: I think that's actually his name is Glaroon. It's not a title.
0: Well, except that it says the Glaroon addressed the first for manipulation. So it's hard to say if it's a name, a title, or both. Hmm. Maybe it's an occupation. I want to be a Glaroon when I grow up.
1: <laughs> now hiring. <laughs> Eleven fifty an hour.
0: I want to be a first for
1: manipulation. <laughs> and I'll be the first for operations. Sounds like a wonderful job. Uh, no, You could probably do a, you could it'd probably be pretty cool if we could just create an entire world and, you know, use it for our own purposes. I mean, I, I personally think they could just take this whole thing and make it into reality TV for, you know, a bunch of aliens watching us. Going, hey, look at, look at this crazy world. Stay tuned for another episode of Earth. We're going to give them 27 major religions, all of which think they're right. Let's see how they deal with that.
0: <laughs> yeah, the parallels to something like the Truman Show that we've already drawn. But something like this makes me draw a comparison to like The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, or rather the continuation of the series where we learn that the Earth was just a, a big experiment that was run by,
1: by the mice,
0: the dolphins. Or by the mice, yeah, not by the dolphins. Yeah, and it was all an attempt to answer the question the question of the life, the universe, and everything. That does not seem to be what's going on here.
1: Yeah, I don't know what question they're trying to answer here, but it, it doesn't seem to be 42.
0: So, yeah, another one of the things that you had, had teased earlier is stories that go off the track. <laughs> stories that, that don't end how you expect them to and that don't end how anyone might expect them to or that just end so abruptly for whatever reason, you know, like you said, production costs or sorry, your series has been canceled, as in the case of something like Firefly you know that as series or as television seasons especially come to an end there's the inevitable articles which series will get to continue and which series are going to you know be cut by their by their studios that have been producing them and then which studios are going to be resurrected through fan sympathies and fan petitions by something like Netflix or Hulu or something along those lines where we're going to get to we're going to get to see them play out because they don't know what they've got.
1: Yeah, but then, of course, there's this whole other subculture of, like, grade B science fiction movies if you want to go through, I don't know, like, 2B or some of the second-tier cable channels that pick up. I don't know if they're these these are art student films or what, but it almost inevitably has, like, <laughs> maybe one or two actors because that's all they can afford, and it's always in some isolated environment where they can't have any big special effects budget. And they ask some like deep philosophical question. They talk about it the whole movie. Then it ends, and there's nothing resolved, and you're still wondering what's going on. So I've seen a number of those movies, right. and there are more where you're just like, what?
0: They're less popcorn movies than they are beer movies.
1: I don't understand that reference, but okay. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Meaning that... You know, a popcorn movie is something that you don't expect much out of, but you enjoy it anyway, and you just munch your popcorn, where a beer movie is one that you're not sure what to expect, and if it goes so far off the rails, you can always just drink more beer, and it'll become more entertaining.
1: Ah, I was assuming it was some kind of movie where you had to be drinking a beer in order to make some type of sense out of the movie.
0: Well, yeah, sure, you could go there as well.
1: Yeah, the, the movie Dark Star comes to mind.
0: <laughs> That's one I have not seen in a very long time.
1: So lest anybody out there think that it's an isolated phenomenon, you know, we kind of mentioned earlier a few episodes of things that ended badly. We're going to just throw a few more out there just for the heck of it. And I'll start uh, with Game of Thrones. Daredevil. Veronica Mars.
0: Wayward Pines.
1: Stargate Universe. Wolf Lake. Dollhouse.
0: Defiance.
1: Revolution.
0: Twin Peaks. And they did that twice.
1: Well, the X-Files, they did reboot that one, too. This is true. Uh, Terra Nova, Dexter. The 4400.
0: <laughs> Dexter they're bringing back so they can end it badly another time.
1: Are they really? <laughs> Great. <laughs> um, Ascension.
0: Sherlock. They can't decide whether to end it or keep it going.
1: Uh, you know, we probably should stop this because it's getting depressing. I know. And then, then people will say the other things that ended badly was this particular episode of the podcast.
0: Nah, you can guarantee that we aren't going away. Well, wait, wait. I know how to salvage the ending. We've got to come back to our scale. So ah, the scale. We got to give it a hmm, a whoa, or what the fuck? Where you stand with this one, Dan?
1: Well, just based on the ending, I'm just gonna to have to go with a what the fuck because it's basically like, like Heimlich's like, I'm done. Goodbye, bike drop. We're out of here.
0: Yep. The story's due at midnight, and it's 11.55. What the hell am I going to do?
1: Yeah, I've written 500 words, and it only has to be 500 words, so I'm out of here. So I'm going to go with, that's a say, what the fuck? Not necessarily because it makes your brain think about the story, but just because it leaves your brain hanging.
0: Ah, eh, I'm good with that. You know, he's trying to make us think, so he's trying to write a hmm story, but he, he kind of rolled the dice there at the end.
1: Yeah, you're right. There is some hmm in there. So a combination of hmm mixed with what the fuck.
0: Maybe we need to come up with some sound effects for these. There's something to ponder. What do you all think?
1: So not that I'm in the business of telling people actually what to think, but if I could, I would say tune in for the next episode, which is going to be... A Philip K. Dick classic, which you may or may not have ever heard of, called War Veteran.
0: One of the few that hasn't been made into a movie, at least yet.